You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. Carol, where um, where do you live? Uh, in the central Illinois. Okay, so you deal with the cold a little bit. Oh, yeah, it's it's brutal out here. Um, this afternoon, I'll have track practice with my guys, and we're just going to run a mile in strides because it's so cold and none of them are in shape. But I just want to get that mindset of, hey, it's been an awful year, but remember how much fun we have together. Are you guys having your track season like normal? Is that planned? Not like normal, but yes, we are planning on having a season with meets and right now a state series, but it will be conducted like May and June, where normally I'd be getting them ready for an indoor meet right now. You know, I um, was cross-country skiing yesterday and there was a high school cross-country ski race going on. And it was very interesting how they handled it. They had all the teams go out in waves in their teams, but not race each other. And then it was all time trial based, which was just super interesting. So they let all the squads go, but there was no head to head. And then I think about that on the track, like that is, is that feasible on a track? Obviously not. So I assume they'll go to traditional racing. Illinois had an almost normal cross-country season. We didn't have the big invites, but we still had meets and were able to have something very similar to a state meet. And they just put waves of 50. So all the number one guys ran, all the number two and three ran together and it worked. And as far as I know, there were no outbreaks. So I think that gives our governing body, which is the IHSA, the belief that it can work. Good. Yeah. I mean, getting anything yes. works. How's that been as being a coach? Like, cause you're at the high school level right now, currently, is that correct? Yes. How's that been as a coach in this situation? Like, has anything, obviously things have changed for you, but like, what are the major things, I guess, is what I'm wondering. To be honest, for cross country, not a lot of changes. As a coach who runs with the kids, while we're running, we don't have to wear masks. So we have them all with us. We go for a run, we go to the field, uh, we're stretching. We put, put the masks on, but while we're running, it's almost normal. So do you run six feet apart? <sighs> they run down the street. You can imagine this. I said, spread out your arms. That's how far apart you should be. Well, then, you know, my kids are crazy. Like all high school kids, they're running down the street, looking like airplanes. Right. <laughs> we try to stay reasonably apart. Anytime we do food, I have hand sanitizers. We step in, take a piece of food, step back, then the next person goes forward. Um, I'm not sure how much difference it makes, but I told the kids, I'm not willing to take a risk to look back and say, oh my gosh, I should have. So I I don't care how dumb you think I am. These are the rules and this is what we're going to do. It's tricky right now. And and not to get off and politicize this, but it's tricky because some of the things that are being allowed are way worse than the things that aren't allowed. Did yeah. you see the Olympics announcement this week? Did, did you see that the rule book, the handbook that came out about what's going to happen? I caught some glimpse and I'm like, how are you going to make this work? Kirk, did you see any of it? I have not. So there's going to be no cheering. <laughs> there's going to be no hugging or high-fiving amongst athletes, but they're handing out 150,000 condoms in the Olympic Village. So, like, if the camera's on, you can't <laughs> yes. touch each other. 
But when the camera's off, like pie gal. Yeah. <laughs> Rock and roll. Wait, can can the stands be full of just silent people? Oh, I'm sure that'll be distant, but the athletes cannot they can bump into each other during a race, but they can't high five afterwards, but then they can they can hang out socially once the cameras <laughs> aren't on them. So it's a really strange time. So I guess my point is I'm glad high schools are competing at all. Yes. And I'm hoping that logic eventually prevails through and through. Well, I drove the school bus for the junior high volleyball team because I coached volleyball for years as well. And in between, when the ball was dead, the AD had to wipe it off and then immediately hand it right back. And I'm like, is that going to make it? I know it's a rule and we have to follow it. And if this is what it takes, but how is that really helping? Yeah, it's strange. So I guess to, to, to bring it back to where we were, Cross-country season didn't have to change much, but with no indoor season, and I'm assuming it's going to be a semi-shortened outdoor season predicated around championship season, does that change the way you're going to periodize your kids' training? Oh, it already has. Um, normally, by now, we would be doing more threshold work and, and quality things, and we have a what was called an indoor state. Mm-hmm. So last year, on the 22nd of January, we had a an indoor meet, and you know, qualified for the indoor state, probably it's the top 12 times and we had the fifth best time. So we did kind of a mini periodization where I focused them on trying to get them some good foot speed with endurance. So we just kind of skipped the last piece of speed training, Um, you know, and then we would step back and then kind of go back to more base miles and then like tempo runs and then slowly work it in. We don't have a first meet set up yet. So right now it's more mental. Kids are really struggling. Mm. And, you know, even those that are good students, we've been lucky. Most of our high school has been in session. We've had a couple weeks where we're out, but classes are only meeting every other day. And some of the kids are just struggling, staying focused. So, you know, and my big thing with them is we cannot look back at what we've lost. We have to, we can't change situations, but we can change how we look at them. So we have to look at this as being thankful we have something and enjoy our time together. What we saw last year from a lot of high schoolers from the very top end is that people lost their season and gained PRs. Yes. Because they didn't have to worry about running three dual meets per week and somehow trying to fit a progressive training system in. It sucked all year long for not being able to compete, but they got to just train in a vacuum and then show up to time trials and people like a crazy amount of kids broke four in the mile and broke nine in the two mile that we hadn't seen before. So if the kids can hang on mentally, they're going to be in a great place time-wise, but they miss all that racing practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my one, my number one guy has done a great job of staying focused. Um, and he did make it to that, um, state meet. It was a little different. It wasn't run by the IHSA, Mm. but um, a a timing group took it over and used the same qualifying standards. So we had regionals and sectionals as normal. And then this timing group used what would normally qualify for state because they're not held under the same restrictions. There there were health restrictions, but not, not as much as what the IHSA had. Right. So are you able to get together with the kids every day still? Yes, we're calling 
we're calling it open gym. <laughs> so the, the state has rescinded the contact rules. So um, right now we're only meeting twice a week with the weather being so bad. And uh, we wouldn't have gotten a gym even if we're in season against the other sports. So we don't even try. Um, and with our season not starting until probably the end of April, it's, it's mostly for their mindset. I, I want them to believe that, you know, we're going to have a season, we're getting together and having fun, but to not worry about their fitness right now. It's like that summer before cross country. It's like the ones who stay motivated and can show up under loose guidelines are the ones who have a great season and the ones who can't stay focused, unfortunately don't. I'm sure you remind them of that constantly. <laughs> I do. Well, mm -hmm. I, I tell them that I can't set the goals for them. I'd like to, but they have to just come to me with the goals they want to achieve. And then it's my job to help get them there. These times right now highlight the importance of a strong coaching presence at a high school, college, and middle school level. At this time right now, there's two types of programs, the types that people are scrambling and looking around like, what do we even do? And the types who have seen it all and are like, all right, this happens, now we're gonna progress to this. So obviously you've been around the block, you've seen what there is to see, you have built up your lifetime of coaching acumen, and we both want to stroll back and, and find that. Like we've talked about what you're doing now, I wanna work up to this point. Because you have, I mean, we, we've talked this story with many people, but your story starts two decades before any of the other athletes or coaches we've talked to, which means that the standard story for everyone we talk to is, I was playing soccer, or I was playing baseball or whatever, and I just kept doing well at running. And people were like, you need to come out for the team. The team could really use you. And that could not have been your experience. And that's what I'm interested by. <laughs> well, and you know, you'll really laugh because um, I can remember in grade school, I, I'm 5'11", and was almost that tall in junior high. And I failed PE. And remember hearing the gym teacher tell my mother that I'll never be an athlete. So I did kind of mention to her when I ran D1 track. Um, oh, <laughs> by the way. You looked that woman up and you let her know. <laughs> I actually did. Well, in her defense, she saw me later. And um, ironically, we ended up working in the same school district. And she pulled me aside and said, remember that? And I'm like, actually, I do. You know, you know, people send out Christmas cards and it's basically just one long story about how things are so great in their own life. Um, you should send her one every single year that says, I ran you in cross country and just wanted to remind you. And that should be your only thing. Yeah, I, I've done a, a few things. Um, but it, in her defense, they used to have presidential physical fitness awards and I couldn't even make the 50th percentile. And um, when I was eight, an eighth grader, I hit presidential and I just thought I was all that. Mm -hmm. um, but my freshman year in high school was that last year of Girls Athletic Association. But it was also the first year of interscholastic sports at my school. Explain Girls Athletic Association for us, if you don't mind. I, I don't mind at all. Um, <laughs> back in the 70s, there were, there were absolutely no sports unless you were a cheerleader. And what we would do is it was an extra PE class for girls. So it was an opportunity for us to at least do something, but it was only with our school. So we'd just go on a bus and, and maybe go play tennis or go to the pool or just um, have a practice after the boys were done with the gym. And that was the extent of interscholastic sports? 
Yeah, and it wasn't even very day. Well, that was the extent of GAA, mm-hmm. and my and also that year um, in 1974 we started um, interscholastic sports, and no one would believe this, but for our uniforms in home ec class, we took patches that you would sew onto jeans. We traced numbers and then ironed them on a white T-shirt, and those were our uniforms. <laughs> so when I say we've come a long way, we have come a long way. And to be honest, none of us complained at all. We were so grateful to have an opportunity to play other schools that we just accepted it as a norm. And we knew we were lucky because at least our school was doing it. So I did have four years of high school sports. For perspective, where did you grow up? Um, rural, <laughs> rural Illinois. R- okay. Yeah. And, and just so everybody knows, so we're clear, because Bracken said you had two decades on anybody <laughs> that we've walked through their life timeline. How old are you, Carol? I'm 61. And you've been a coach for how long? An endurance coach? Um, probably 35 years. That's better probably than us combined, Bracken. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, not to date anyone, but I'm 33. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you were so understanding when I struggled with the computer setup. Yeah. So this, this is what blows my mind, all right? everyone's story is the coach sought me out or the team wouldn't leave me alone or I was doing this sport, but this sport wanted me. And yours was my, I was part of the first interscholastic sporting experience for females. It it was completely, yeah. Now we didn't have track. I don't know if I would have done it. Um, At my height, I was a decent volleyball and basketball player. So those were really my major sports. Um, and, and we just loved it. It was an opportunity to, to do what the boys got to do. And that's one thing that I'd always remember that we just wanted to be treated as equals. And so my mind just goes crazy when I hear of program, men's programs being cut based on Title IX. That was never what we wanted. We just wanted a chance to compete. So um, that was, so that was my beginning. And um I did sort of come to running through the traditional story. Um, I was playing volleyball at the junior college because. Hold up. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you again. You made it through high school without running. Correct. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I just wanted to make sure I heard that correct. Yeah, no, it it is the traditional story. Um, And we were playing volleyball and I was set up. But this young man who ran on the cross country team said, your practices are easy. I bet you couldn't even run a 10K. And I was a little sassy. So I said, sure, I can. I had no idea how far a 10K was. Um, And he hands me an app for a 10K local race. And I had to look up to see how far a 10K was. Like an application? Not like an, an app on your phone? <laughs> yeah, we didn't have those back then. Yes, a paper application to a race. Okay. And I'd already put my foot in it. So I started training for running in high top basketball shoes. And I thought anyone who would want to run six miles was obviously not an athlete because they couldn't do the real sports. Jokes on jokes on me. And so I got all the way up to four miles and did the 10K and crossed the finish line and knew I had found my sport. Kale, did you have a crush on this guy or something? No, I actually kind of didn't even know him, but... Just some chump was like, you can't. And you're like, I can. And that's where it started. Yep. And he stopped running long ago. And here I still am 42 years later. 
What, what was, it, was about? it about? Dang it, Bracken. Same page, brother. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about that race that you knew you knew that you were in love, at least with the race instead of the boy? Yeah, yeah not the boy. Um, it was that feeling, that last quarter mile. I had never run more than four miles. And, you know, I wasn't going to spend money on real running shoes, what they were back then. And um, so I'm just running around in my basketball shoes. But getting to that six mile mark, doing something that I didn't think that I could do, the cheering was nice, but it was that feeling. And I know it'll sound sappy, but it was a feeling in my soul that I set a goal. I worked towards it and I accomplished it. And I just felt good about myself. Do you remember what you ran? Uh, I was 57 something. So it was pretty slow. You cracked an hour. <laughs> and I was excited. Yes. So, um, yeah, as soon as my toenails grew back, because, of course, they both fell off, both the big toenails. Basketball shoes will do that to you, running a 10K. Uh, and then I just, I really got lucky as far as running in college, because I didn't intend to. Um, but one of my dorm mates ran on the cross country team, and she said, hey, I see you going out running every day. Do you want to join a team? Now, keep in mind, this is, you know, late 70s. And um, so I joined as a walk-on and never having run a track race, coach says, well, you know, here's practice. We're going to run 800 meters. And I literally, I'm so embarrassed. I raised my hand and asked how many times around the track that was. That's reasonable. <laughs> Americans don't work in metric. A D1 college, college track practice. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, did you have running shoes by this point? I did. I did. Okay. And and I my first coach who was just kind of a great guy who helped me out and you know, he told me that you know, one day I would appreciate all the hard work that I did and so he got me a pair of spikes and and it, I had a great experience. I was terrible. Um I think the coach let me on the team because I was so positive with everyone else and shoot every day was a PR. So I'd be like bouncing around having a great time and I think it just made everyone else happier, so she kept me. <laughs> I wanna I wanna interrupt you and then pick this up again, but I have two more questions before we move on. One is I had still one curiosity about the um finally able to compete as a girl when you were younger. Was that because you were in rural small town Illinois and were like the Chicago kids able to do this, for example? Or was this statewide? This is just the culture. And the reason I ask is because like Bracken and I both like we were, I'm infatuated with the pre-Fontaine era, right? Mm -hmm. Late 60s, early and mid 70s when the running craze supposedly started. Is that like an ideal, like has that been idealized now and it really wasn't like that then? Or were you aware? I guess I'm meshing that all together, but I'm wondering all those things. Well, we were lucky because it was very new in Title IX. I think it was only the second year of it. Um, and it was, a, it's a small high school. But we had a, a conference that the boys played in and all the schools in the conference decided to start this girls sports thing. And it's not too hard to look back even just a year or two and girls didn't have this choice. So we were just excited about it. And the running boom, it, it's a little bit idealized, but it really did happen. Um, not so much for women though. Most of my training partners were men. Uh, I actually would have little old ladies pull over and roll down their windows because that was before automatic windows, of course. And they would say to me, sweetie, aren't you worried about your uterus falling out? <laughs> what was your response? <laughs> <laughs> I 
was pretty young. So I was like, no, but thank you for your concern because they weren't being mean. They were being honest or, you know, you're not going to get a boyfriend. The boys don't like athletes. You know, Tell me, I got my shorts tied tight enough. My uterus is fine. I I was having a conversation with my dad a few days ago and his grandpa had this crazy lifetime where he saw he remembers the first time he saw an airplane fly over. He remembers the first time he saw a television. And I was thinking that is outrageous that someone saw that progression in their lifetime. But hearing this, I forget about the social progression as well sometimes, especially because my perspective is unfailingly male. Yes. To think that there was a time that A, if you were born a few years earlier, you couldn't have competed in high school. And B, that someone stopped and asked if your uterus was going to fall out <laughs> from running. I mean, think of, we talk about that sometimes we're in a science dead era now. Kirk, that's crazy talk. Uh, and my, I mean, my father is 64, 65. I should know that. And even as a male, his first opportunity to run cross country was as a senior in high school. I mean, it was clearly slow to bleed, but I can't imagine how far behind the girls' sports were compared to that. It's incredible. Well, and just the growth we've seen because now, well, and it's been a while, but when we first started, the PE teachers would coach the sports because, you know, who would want to coach the girls? You know, now you're getting girls that have come up through the sport and were very good athletes, and now they're becoming coaches. And, um, my high school, because I, I was training with the boys in the summer, I, I was still in college, but I was training with the boys. And then the following year, I graduated with my teaching degree and their coach left and they were desperate for a coach. So they asked if I could coach. And I said, well, under one condition, I have to start a girls program because there was no girls cross country program. And they agreed. Now, Luckily, the young lady that I was thinking about, um, her father, I think, was the Minnesota state chap in the mile, but pretty good pedigree. And um, she became very successful. But I did have an IHSA starter tell me that at that point, and this would have been like 82 or 83, that I was the only female in the state of Illinois coaching varsity boy athletes. So that was kind of cool. I was born then, so that still is shocking to me. I was actually not a zygote anymore. I was a lot alive, so that's hard, interesting to hear. I, I, I think I just wanted to bridge the gap real quick with the end of your college experience and then get into the rest of it. But, like, obviously you found yourself even more, right? In, I mean, even though you said you think sucked is the word you said, which I'm sure is exaggeratory, you, you obviously found even more success and more growth in the sport, right, I assume, by the time you graduated? Yes, and um... – I wasn't very, well, I have a great engine. And when I was at ISU, they they tested my VO2 max and it was like 69-ish. Which is massive for a female. It is. For anybody. (laughs) For anybody. But when I say for a female, that's usually derogatory. VO2 maxes are scientifically lower for women. That's not a for a woman. That's (laughs) for a female. You're not even, the ceiling's just different. So 69 is higher than mine. But generally, women are at least 10 lower than men anyway. So. Well, and yeah, it, it was super high. But the problem is he looked at me and said, well, here's the, here's the good news. You have a Ferrari engine. Here's the bad news. You have a Mack truck body. So you're never going to be good. <laughs> so it's, I just had to work harder. 
And that's okay. And that was our first guest car analogy. <laughs> oh, that's Wonderful. true. <laughs> this is well, a historic <laughs> moment. Continue. But I, I think, well, there's no doubt. It made me a better coach because I played at both ends of the spectrum. You know, early in girls sports, I had a reasonable amount of talent. So I was successful. Obviously, when I'm running for ISU, I'm often battling to not be last. But I also realized my importance to the team wasn't always my performance. I I understand performance is, but there are other values. So for my athletes, when they're racing, you know, I've had kids that run in the 14s for three miles. And I've also had kids that, you know, were struggling to break 30 minutes. And I really try to make each one of them feel value as a person. So and. You know, sometimes bad experiences help define you only because they make you see what you don't want to be. So my goal in coaching was always to make each child feel valuable, regardless of what, you know, what their performance was. We did an episode last week talking about our journey through running, and we talked about some of the coaches we had along the way. And I talked about it was more important to me to have someone who cared about me as a person than someone who is a good coach. Because oftentimes the good coaching missed anyways, or it was given to someone else, but the person who cared just cared across the board. And it was something I struggled with when I first started coaching was as a runner who runs with the team, I found that the faster runners got all my attention. And I, you know, I was a teacher. I was a special ed teacher, which you really don't get into for the money. So it, it kind of assumes you have a heart for kids. And I'd like to think I did. And I struggled to spread that over the ability levels. And so for you to come in with that intent, I think immediately sets you apart as a coach. It, and it, it's a constant guilt um, because no matter who I'm with, I always feel like I'm letting someone else down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the good things that I came up with, um, and it's going to be a connection to you guys because one of my athletes um, ran for Oshkosh and he was, he was very talented and but a great kid when did he run for oshkosh you know early 2000s yeah well i was there in early 2000s do i know the guy um it's brian peterson brian peterson he was either just he must have been just after me in in the same ballpark i i did recommend your broadcast to them Uh, but um you know he was getting all the attention you know newspapers would interview him and so we came up with we call it time to shine so after each meet um, each kid gets a, a piece of paper that has, you know, everybody splits where they placed, if they'd run it in the past, where they finished in the past, and then a personal note on it, just me choosing something that I was impressed with, even if it was, well, you really ran pretty poorly today. So that just means next time it'll be better. Um, but we set that up and Brian really enforced it because He said, everyone needs to feel like they're an important part of the team. You know, it takes five guys to score, seven or even better. So, you know, we need to work together. So I think that was an important thing just to help people understand that they have value. It's rare. And it's it's a piece. We harp a lot on youth coaching on this podcast because it's one of the passions of ours that we feel too many kids arrive to college or post high school already damaged. Yes or already lacking the the life skills needed 
to be a runner, even though it kind of sounds strange to equate life skills with running, but you get to college unprepared or you, you can't handle the criticism or you receive undue criticism. So it's a lacking point of our nation's running development is that across the board attention level. And you that guilt is true. If you run with the top guys and girls, the bottom just gets less time with you. And if you spend time with the bottom, you're guilt, you feel guilty that I could be pushing the top to really hit their ceiling. And that's tough to do. As a coach who runs with the team, it's such a benefit to the team. And yet there's only one of you. Yeah. <laughs> Were you really back of the pack in college? I really was. Okay. I, I did go on and have some success. I've done several Boston marathons and um, I did finish an Ironman. It was ugly, but I finished it. And I, I think at some level that helps the kids understand that, you know, when you're doing those killer workouts and, you know, they're smart enough to look at the workout. And the first thing they look at is the interval because the rest interval, because they know that really indicates the level of pain, but they <laughs> understand that I've done it maybe not as fast, but at that level of pain and that helps them buy into it. And then once they have success, then you just grow a culture. Yeah. Well, I just think like, you know, the, the, those that are definitely like winning every race and then go on to be coaches, um, they might not quite have the appreciation for those who are a little further behind. There was a theory and saying behind you're on a D1 college cross country program. So we understand that you're probably pretty quick. Like, so I don't want to undersell that of course, but, but like there's that philosophy, right? Like I had a sales shitty sales job, uh, as a young professional and their theory was we're going to put all our time into our top performing sales reps. So we're going to get more and more out of them. than if we invest all our time, bringing the bottom, the floor up on our worst sales reps. And you see that with coaching as well. Like we're going to just invest all our time in our top five and really raise their ceiling, but we're going to forget about our floor. And then kids end up getting left out, dropping out of programs, not feeling stimulated. Like, w were you aware that was like, even a, like that still happens? Like, and what do you think of that? It's hard for me when I see coaches um, and they're just focusing on their top kids because that's where the glory is. And you know, like, of course, I want to be at the finish line when my number one guy or number one girl finishes. But let's be honest, if you're an athlete, you don't need that coach going rah, rah beside you. You know, you might need a little bit of a, you know, hey, so-and-so's coming up behind you, but they really don't need us. The kids that need us are those ones that are on the edge of a breakthrough. And, you know, my favorite moments in coaching are really when they run up before COVID days and give you this huge hug. And they're like, coach, I never thought I could do that. I could have never done it without you. The, those better be your coaching moments that you remember. And, and you guys coach, so you understand it. It comes back to that concept we've talked about of coaches being evaluated differently than teachers and where a coach loses his jobs if they miss the playoffs, whereas a teacher keeps your job if you bring the floor up in the classroom. And and it encourages, I get upset with any system that encourages, encourages laziness or shortcuts. And that system encourages coaches to focus on high performers because it doesn't matter if 10 kids quit your team every year and never improve if the top two get to state and you make it into the newspaper. That's not being a good coach. Like you said, the top athletes don't need you. They might need to be pointed in the right direction or held back a little bit, but they don't need you. More so that, yes. It's mm -hmm. the everyday person that's struggling that needs coaching. And yet, if your job's on the line, 
and you don't have a heart for it, you're just going to choose the the easy, low-hanging fruit rather than really working at improving the team. Well, and I do have a sport that it is not real popular. <clears throat> so sometimes it's whoever's willing to take the job. Mm-hmm. I, I've got decent success, but even if I didn't, I don't think I would be replaced. Okay. You know, I, I'd like to think I have some value, but it's that it's, it's the building, the self-esteem and, you know, the guys are a little easier, but with the girls, you know, there's so many society pressures put on them. And I, I really believe in that, you know, that setting the goal and then, okay, here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. And baby success, success, successes along the way, um, really teaches them to believe in who they are and be strong and hopefully then strong when other pressures come along. I was an assistant sort of track coach for a boys program um, back in like the mid 2000s. And then I got offered the girls track coaching position at West Dallas Hale Bracken. I think, do you know that I coached at Hale? I did not know that you coached at Hale. Yeah, I coached at Hale. Yeah, the track program. Then I got offered the head coach position on the the whole track team, but I said no. because You know who's doing it now? Who? John DeWitt. No. Yeah, he's head coach there. Oh, well, (laughs) the point, I did not know that. Um, Point I'm making, though, is um, speaking to like just the, man, I'll tell you what, I had a brand new learning curve is what I'm going to say with the layers to like a young girl athletic team compared to working with the boys. It was very much more complicated. Um, I felt like based on a number of things you said, like, could you speak to, could you speak to that a little bit more? Like, obviously you work with both girls and boys, right? You coach both teams. Yeah. I am the cross country coach. Yeah. So yeah. I know. I noticed, I mean, I was a young man myself and I didn't have a, as much perspective as I do now, but it was, um, I had to start back from scratch. I'm going to say basically with how to approach the teams. Um, what's the, how would you say like the best approach like differentiates between the boys and the girls? Well, and some are changes just along with when they're doing a workout, sometimes we'll do minutes versus miles just because then it's the same. Um, but with the girls, it's it's their mindset. And you just kind of have to talk to each one. And you you know, when you're running with someone, you you're able to open up and talk about things that you probably would never talk about otherwise. So I would try to spend some time just one on one running with the girls and finding out where their head was at and what their goals were. And then being very clear with what I was going to do to help them achieve those goals. And the hardest thing for a coach is to not put what you know they can do as their goal, but to take what their goal is and make that the option. And with girls, you do have to, you know, talk about physical things that are going on in their bodies. And um, I think you guys mentioned it on a podcast, actually. But with my guys, I know I can do exactly the same workouts and they're going to get better over the four years I have them. Um, I had a a young lady who was very successful for me and she ended up running at Platteville. And every year we had to do more just to stay the same because her body was changing. She gained 30 pounds and she was not fit fat at all. Um, But we talked about that right at the beginning that as a freshman, she was built like a young boy. So it would be easier to run. And if she wanted to be successful, she was going to have to do more work. So she knew going into it, And I think that really made it a lot easier for her. But you have to be so careful. Um, You know, your good runners or your good athletes are very competitive and girls compare. And they look at those skinny girls over there 
and they're running really fast and that works for a while. And you have to be the one to talk to them about fueling your body. And, you know, you wouldn't put garbage in your in your car and expect it to go. You need to fuel it up. But that's hard because the less less you weigh, the faster you run. And that works for a while. So it's a slippery slope. You want them to be successful. But more importantly, you want them to be healthy and not develop a problem that will plague them the rest of their lives. Kirk, I didn't realize you, we never talked about it. I didn't realize you coached high school girls. Yep. I spent several years coaching track and cross country um, for both genders. And I look back at those times with regret because I was, it was my first coaching job. And I get that you have to cut your teeth somewhere. But the longer I get into coaching, the more I think that guys should not cut their teeth at the high school level. And, and I agree with that. I look back and how I would do it now versus mm-hmm. how I did it then. And even just how I approached the girls that I had a, a difficult time understanding yeah. fully at the time, I would start somewhere else. I really would. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, I came off of a high school and college running career. Five years in college, four in high school. I was nine years into my development, mm-hmm. but I did not belong coaching young women. I didn't. And and I, I feel like I, I'm still waiting, right? I'm waiting for that person to, to reach out and be like, hey, I have struggled with this and it's because of you. Or that person to, to message and say, hey, like it's all great that you're talking about these concepts now, but you failed me then. I'm waiting for that because I did not belong running a girl's program. I just didn't. And, and that's, I guess it's, I wouldn't say I did anything shameful, but I certainly didn't do anything with any knowledge base. I treated the girls program like they were emotional boys because that's the only connection I could make was it's like coaching a guy, but you're going to have more emotions. And that's how I treated it. (laughs) And I think that's pretty normal. And I think some of it is not just the gender difference, but it's the, what your heart is. So I've had girls that are just as tough as the guys and I can handle them differently because their drive to be successful matches mine. I get that. The, the ones that are a little bit harder need those warm fuzzies along the way. And you, it takes a while to learn how to get those. Um, but I will say, you know, we had a, a cross country meet and I, one of my young ladies, she just, she was desperate to break 30, but it wasn't happening. And we had a meet where she had a shot. So I, you know, set the alarm up and it was like the Pied Piper and rats coming out from everywhere. But my kids appeared and she ran through a line of her teammates cheering for her as she ran 2950 something. Hmm. And that changed her whole mindset. But that's hard to understand that that's what we need to do. Hmm. And I think girls supporting girls is, I don't know, or women, I would say in general, women supporting women is a little bit grayer than men supporting men in our culture. So playing that's super important. I like that. Do you know what I know? I was over my head, by the way, in girls coaching girls. (laughs) One of my athletes showed up with a cake one day to practice and it said, Kirk, will you go to prom with me on it? (laughs) (laughs) And I had to reject her in front of the entire team. Can you imagine that? Blue icing, blue icing. But did you eat the cake later? I know she took that cake home with her. She did not eat that cake. Nope. Girl, I've had a question kicking around in my mind, but I wanted to save it for your episode because neither Kurt nor I are equipped to answer this. 
So there's been a a rising debate in the running community. Should high school girls and college women run the same distance as their male counterparts at meets? And recently there was a push to standardize distances and some very high profile coaches and female professional athletes wrote an essay responding to it saying, we don't feel segregated by running shorter distances. They're, they're, your rationale is not our rationale. We don't see it this way. Separate does not mean equal. Equal <laughs> yeah. does not mean the same. You know, it was, mm-hmm. and I was actually surprised. I thought my immediate response to that was, you're wrong. Everyone should, should run the same distance. It's foolish. And then I realized I have no ground to stand on. And I want to know your, like, your full thought process around should men and women run the same distance? And to be honest, I go back and forth. Um, when you're talking high school, I think they should be the same. Um, Illinois runs three miles. Most people do 5Ks. I think that's, that's fine. Um, where I go back and forth is the college level running. Um, And that's where I look at minutes. So if the women are running 8K and the men are running 10K, that's about the same number of effort of minutes in your body. And then then I look at, well, you know, we don't have an 8K on the track for the women for the Olympics, so maybe they should be running the, the 10K. So that's where I go back and forth. At the professional level, I think it should be the same distance. I don't think there's a question. And I think at the high school, it should be the same. Where I wonder is the cross country distance. If eight and maybe eight k is just best for everyone, I'm not sure about that. But I know I I go back and forth between it doesn't have equal isn't always the same. Mm -hmm. So if we look at minutes, there's your equality. So I didn't really answer it because I'm not really sure how I feel about it. Okay, are you offended by tell like our state guys run five k high school, girls run four k. Are you, is that offensive to you or is that again, minutes thing? They're both going to, the top are going to be on course for 14 or 15 minutes and the middle of the range is going to be 18 to 20. Like, is is that offensive or is that logical? And I don't need a hot take. I'm, I know I I didn't realize they were different. Um, I know for a while, Illinois had the girls running two miles and the boys running three and then they, or 2.1 actually. And then they switched to 2.5 before they went to three. And I felt it should be three at both levels, even though it's a few more minutes, it's not really that much more uh, stress on your body. Is there anything I have to do with scheduling? Like when they have like meets after school and it's the evening and they need to set off every heat, every 30 minutes. So it's more like, Hey, if the women run a 5k, it might take longer and it would push the schedule back. Is any of that part of the equation? I don't think so. Um, no. Most meets are held early enough that, you know, you we're done with our cool down and it's still still pretty light. No. Um, it might be a consideration with COVID if you have to run, you know, 20 flights, then that would be a different story. And I think we'd all be OK with whatever distance we had to run. I have one follow up that's not gender related with that. If you had to redo cross country, if you had to restart high school and college sports from the ground up, and you still know you were going to have cross country, would you keep the distances? Would you have multiple distances like track, or would you change it to one different distance? To be honest, I'd like to see the whole United States have a a same distance. Um, I think that would help the kids when they're going into college. But I would have everyone running the same distance. Um, 
you know, and I assume we're talking varsity, running JV a little less, I think is a great idea. It gives kids a chance to get success as they're, as they're learning the sport. But as far as varsity, I think it should be the same at the high school level. Okay. I had someone ask me, should they have middle and long distance cross country? So you could specialize like track. And I'd never thought of it, but then I thought, man, a, a thousand or a 2000 meter cross country course. And then like a, a 5k or a 8k is the long that there might be something to that. Why do we only run one distance? So I didn't know if you had ever given thought to that. No, and I like though when there are options at the bigger meets to run JV and sometimes those are shorter and I think they should be. Um, I, I do kind of laugh though, because it, it is a throwback to the seventies when we do big invites, there's fresh soft for the boys, but there's not for the girls. Hmm. So it's just... You know, there might be a JV race for the girls, but there's not a fresh soft race. Do you think any of that's because oftentimes fresh, uh, the fresh soft are faster than junior seniors? It could be because with girls, that often is the case. I think it's simply this is the way we've always done it and no one really complains and it's not that big of a deal. I just find it interesting sometimes that those are the choices. Yeah, that's true. I'd like to see a relay, a cross country relay. Oh, that'd be fun. Four by eight or four by thousand cross country. Oh, four by thousand would be perfect. Yeah. Let everybody run their race and then have a, a relay to cap the whole day off. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. Um, no, we haven't done Carol. We haven't really picked up your personal story <laughs> from, from coaching right out of college. So you're doing this, you said 30 some years now, mm -hmm. clearly something has gone right in your heart and in like with your relationship with your teams. Um, we talked about um, lessons learned as we came up as athletes. Um, and I want to know in your early years, now that you have some perspective, what were some of the lessons learned as a coach in your early years help developing young athletes? That first season of cross country was very difficult because, you know, three weeks earlier, I was one of them running with them. And now all of a sudden I'm the boss. So, mm. and my brother was on the team. <laughs> so I, I did have to be pretty tough one time because the number one runner decided he did not want to do what I thought the workout should be. And um, he wasn't going to do it. So that's tough. It was hard, but I made him miss a meet. And I that but that turned everything around. Because then not only he realized that I set a standard and rules are meant to be followed. But of course, the rest of the team did too. But I have to tell you that emotionally, that tore me up because not only was he the number one runner, but he was, he was the guy I trained with. So he was my racing partner. So that, but I think the, the lesson and it was hard and I had to learn it early, but the same rules have to apply to everyone. And it's difficult. And you just have to stick with it and, and trust that in the long run, um, it, it will make a difference. But I think that was probably the most important one. And it's still, it's still hard today, but I don't question it as much as I used to because kids look to us as being the authority and they want things to be fair, but it's tough. Carol, what was that workout that this kid didn't like? I got to know. What workout did he think was stupid? <laughs> um, I think I think it was 1,000-meter repeats, and he didn't think the recovery was long enough. That, well, thousands are perfect. You know, yeah. they're long enough that you can't cheat, and 
you know, they're, they're tough enough that they give you that quality. And if you're racing a 5k, they're just the, the perfect mix, but he didn't think he should do it or have to hit the times that I told him he should hit. And so he's like, well, I'm not doing it. And I said, well, then I guess you're going home and this counts as a mispractice and you'll be on the bus to the next meet, but you won't be participating. And luckily I had a good relationship with his folks as well. So they completely supported it. But you're what, 23? Uh, yeah. Telling an 18 year old boy, like, <laughs> yep. I mean, you're, the lines get blurred as I found out with the whole prom offering. When you're yes. a young coach, you're not far in age. It's one hard to earn respect. And two, like those lines get a little blurry as to who's the boss. Yes. And I do have to say, and we're lucky in our sport. I realize you guys are, are runners who do OCR in my head, but. Um, yes. Thank you. Yes. That's accurate. <laughs> our sport is very respectful of people who are competent. Like, you know, I'm all of a sudden in these coaching huddles and the starter will go, okay, and gentlemen, and then, oh, Carol, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's fine. I'm one of you. But I felt respected and treated as an equal halfway through that first season. Once those men realized that I knew what I was doing and I cared about my kids, I I was an equal. And I do remember... Um, Brian one time was being interviewed because he was getting ready for the state meet and the he calls me up and he's like coach they asked the dumbest question so I'm thinking you know like a workout or a philosophy and he said they asked me how I felt because I had a girl coach and he said I just looked at them and said she's coach she knows what she's doing I don't think of her as a girl and then he said well Sometimes it's easier to hear her voice with all the men's voices. <laughs> but I think, you know, in our sport, people are respected for their competency, not their gender. And I can't tell you how much that means to me. You just said something interesting. And you said that you knew what you were doing. Brecken and I just went back and said, I don't know if we did know what we were doing, <laughs> coaching at a young age. How, how did you develop your knowledge early on about what to do? Or was it a uh, trial by fire? Because I'll be honest, I don't know about you, Bracken. I took what I did in college and just spit it back out at a scaled level for my high school kids initially, because you only know what you know, right? So is like, what, did you know what you were doing? Now you're looking back or did you not? I'm, I'm sure I would coach slightly different, but... And to be honest, like you, I spit back workouts that, you know, I myself had done either with those actual kids or at college. Um, but, and you guys have both talked about it. The coaches that you respected the most were cared about you as people. And that's the difference. You know, even if you make a mistake and you throw out a workout that's way too hard, um, a person who cares about the kids is going to say, guys, you know what? Stop right now. I This workout is not working out the way I thought it would. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Let me think about this and we'll come back uh, in a day or two and, and figure out how I need to fix this workout. And kids respect that. When did you gain your competency Did and, and how? Because we all go from that stage of I'm doing what my coaches did to I have my own system or a borrowed system that I personalize. And I don't think I hit mine until probably five to seven years post-collegiate. Did I finally even feel like I was doing something because I knew why? What was your process there? I think it was a, a slow process. Some, because we're all athletes ourselves and, and 
you know, I would try a work, a new workout. I would try to do myself first to see, you know, what I thought it, what it felt like, what process, what systems I thought it was working. And, you know, then did I feel like it made me better? And like all coaches, we go to, we go to clinics, we read books. Uh, we didn't have videos back then, but you talk to other coaches and running coaches are more than willing to share. And, you know, we would talk about, you know, maybe we're having trouble with a kid and um, he or she's not progressing the way we thought uh, they would, you know, so you talk to the other coaches and they offer suggestions as well. And there again was that respectability. I think each one of us would rather help someone do a better job coaching their kid than we are worried about that kid beating our kid in the next meet. Yeah. When you go, um, when you go back still, I still want to hone in on this a little bit. Um, you started teaching and coaching at the same school. Is that how I'm understanding it? Yeah, I attended, um, it was Putnam County High School and I attended there and then I did some coaching there. Um, and you have since then, just to give the listeners like an idea of the scope of what you've done, you've been coaching at the high school level all of these years, correct? Yes. And at how many different high schools? Um, two different high schools. Um, I coached a little bit at the high school where I myself attended um, and then I moved out of the area and then came back. So since 92, I've been at the same high school. Um, I started the cross country program and I've been the track coach since 1992. Okay. And as far as the culture, you went in with the stipulation that I'll be your coach, but we're going to have a, a girls program, which is super badassy, by the way. Like, <laughs> talk about walking in and just owning your shit. I love that. How did that go? And what was the culture there? And, and how did you bring up a program that didn't exist? And did you have any success? Um, I, you know, I argued with logic, which men like to do. I just simply said, you know, Title IX has been around for a while. You have the sport for boys. You should have it for girls. It's not going to cost you any more because you're paying me one salary to coach the sport, not specific genders. And I was also driving the bus, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Um, and, and to be honest, with that logic, they, they were fine with it. And the young lady had won the state junior high meet the year before. Um, and I had coached her and helped her along with that. So um, she qualified for the state meet. Um, and then later the family moved and she ran uh, Kinney Nationals twice. So she was pretty successful. But the girls program is still in existence today. And I'll take a little credit for that because I don't know how long it would have taken them to start it up. Was there competition? Were there other schools with these programs or were you showing up to a meet and there were two girls programs and there were 20 boys programs and it was like, well, you're time trialing again, ladies. Or did they have some competition? There, I, I was laughing because it made me think of a funny story that I'll share um, after I answer the question. There were girls programs. A lot of the teams didn't have full squads, but there were enough individuals that the girls got to race. Um, but at that time, this will show show the age, if you did not have enough male members on the team, you could run a female in a race to count for a team score as long as all of the other coaches were okay with it. There was a, a coach who uh, smoked cigarettes on the bus on the way to the meet, and he decided that that wasn't fair. 
and we didn't have enough boys to run the fresh soft squad. So um, the young lady was going to run and he said, no, he wouldn't go along with that. So we just, I gathered the kids together and I said, well, we could be upset with this or we could just laugh. So let's laugh because he must be afraid that Carrie's uh, going to beat some of his guys and he doesn't want to do that. So Carrie ran a time trial that day and my guys did not get a team score. Jeez. I actually love that idea. I think that if you have an outlier, they should, the, the female should move into the male ranks mm-hmm. for competition if she wants. I think you should be able to compete against like competition. I think it should be a one-way street, but I think that that girls should be able to come over to the boys division to find competition. If you're in a small conference and you have just this stud performer and she runs every race alone, I don't see an issue with throwing her in with the boys. It's not going to make the boys try less hard. (laughs) (laughs) No one's going to concede to her and she's going to be able to prep for the next level of competition. I like that idea. I would love to see that on occasion, you know, like maybe, you know, have a meet where that's an option. Um, To be honest, I would rather finish last in a mixed race like that that makes me run better than win a race because there's no competition. Not everyone will feel that way. I think we had two girls in the U.S. break 16 in the 5K in the past year. And so, like, how many times do they have the opportunity to run against competition? Nationals? Yeah. (laughs) You know, maybe nationals. And so, why not give her the opportunity to push herself every single week against guys? Because a lot of schools don't have a guy who breaks 16. Uh, Some of mine were pretty impressed that she ran that fast. And I love that they were watching, you know, watching that, those details and checking it out. And I walked into practice and they're like, coach, did you see what she ran? Mm -hmm. Because it, it needs to be a culture of success. And, you know, Life's a team sport and we're all on the same team. Yeah. Think how powerful that'd be if you allowed a girl like that to come in and she outright won an invitational, which she would have. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's you you can't find something more impressive and, I mean, empowering such a cliche word, but empowering than that. Kirk, what would you have done if in high school you ran against a girl who was running 1557 and she just flat out won your invitational? Because she would have won our conference meet. I would have went home and I would have worked harder. Exactly. Like it raises all shifts. I would have I would have crossed the finish line with a red face. But would you have congratulated her? I bet you would have. Hun, oh my god. I would I would she'd probably be on a poster on my bedroom wall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yes, of course. The respect level would be through the roof. Um I'm gonna ask you a tough question, Carol. Okay. Bra- you, you mentioned Bracken, you you said that this this whole interview happened because somebody you coach was an athlete of yours, right, Carol? Yes. Who was who this? Uh, Kelly Williams. Okay, and Kelly raved about you, right? That's why you're here. Kelly Kelly had a lot of really good things to say about you, and that's it's not an easy thing to do as a coach. As we talk to athletes that we've talked to in the past, I mean, how many of them said they had an asshole for a coach? They had poor coaching yeah. experiences. I'm going to say if it's not 50-50, it, I'd be shocked. So the hard question is coming, and that is why are you so adored? And why do you believe that you get things out of your athletes and are respected and all that? What is it that you do that literally made someone say, this woman needs to be on your podcast? Like, that, <laughs> I'm being serious. Like, no. what do you think it is that you do that that provoked that re- response from one of your athletes? Well, in a disclaimer, like I've helped Co- Kelly off and on. Um, 
but I've never really truly coached her. Uh, when she retires from OCR and wants to qualify for Boston, then I'll, I'll take over her training. But she has worked with several of my athletes as well. Um, I think the bottom line, and it's, it's scary simple, the kids know I care. And I've had situations where I have not talked to kids in 10 years. And I'll get a message and say, coach, what is your address? I want to invite you to my wedding. And to me, those are the moments. Or, you know, I, I got a phone call once from uh, one of my kids and he said, coach, I just finished a marathon. I would have never done it without you. You're the first person I called, but I can't talk long because, you know, I got to do my cool down. <laughs> but it's I, they know that I truly care about them as people. And I'm tough. I mean, there have been days where the kids are puking over the side of the fence and my heart is breaking as I say, you got 10 seconds, get on the line. I don't care if you're puking, wipe your spit, let's go. Or coach, my stomach's upset. I said, walk over to the trash can, stick your finger down your throat, puke, stop eating lunch before practice. You got 10 seconds, let's go. So I give them both sides of the, I'm going to help them be the best that they can be, but no matter what the outcome is, they will always matter to me. And I, I think it's as simple as that. Firm but fair. Bracken, didn't you echo almost the same sentiment about just truly caring? That's the theme amongst coaches that yeah. I adored. Because everyone can learn technique. Yeah. You can coach from a book, which one of my best <laughs> college coaches did. He coached out of a book. We'd run a time trial. He'd pull up his chart, he'd pencil it in and say, all right, next week we're running our thousands at 256. Like that was his coaching. That was his programming, I should say. Anyone can mm -hmm. learn to program, even if it's very, very simple, but you can't teach someone to be a great person very easily. Right. Anyone can read a book and learn how to coach. Not everyone can read a book and learn how to love kids. And simply knowing that you're cared for unlocks your ability to try. And I always give them a purpose for their workouts. I, I know, like I've seen coaches that just, you're doing this workout because I said you're doing it. But I try to explain the purpose of it. You know, this, these are the systems we're trying to enhance. You know, we're getting ready for this race um, so that they know that there's a reason. It's not just, oh, you know what? I feel like pulling this workout out of the hat. So this is what we're doing today. And I think that that gives them confidence in us that, you know, even if it's not the perfect workout and, you know, with all the social media, I'll get, oh, well, so-and-so did this workout last week. And I said, well, that's nice. And keep in mind when you, when you Google in a, a location, it gives you three different ways to get to the same destination. It doesn't, it doesn't like matter that. how you get there as long as you get there. And they're starting from a different location than you are. Yeah, sometimes it's just like, mm, they're already halfway there and we got to get you there first. But. but you casually tossed out, yeah, I just explained to them what system we're working on. And Kirk and I get a, an alarming number of messages from people who are coaches that don't understand what their workouts are doing. And that's not us holding ourselves over them because everyone has to start somewhere. But the fact is, it seems that you do understand your systems. And one thing we talk about is you should know your coach's philosophy. And I want to know your philosophy on training because you ran college track. 
you've done an Ironman, you've done marathons. Sounds like you coach people from the track all the way up to the roads long distance. So that requires flexibility and programming, which usually means you have strong tent poles that hold that thing up. And I'm curious what you actually believe in, in terms of what, what works in training and what's best practice. Well, you know, and as George Sheehan said, we're all an experiment of one. Mine is more instinctual. I, you know, I lack math is awful for me. Uh, I was a literature teacher and, you know, we'll have conversations and these math teachers will be floating around these numbers and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of watch the kids work and evaluate their efforts. We don't, some of the kids have heart rate monitors. Most of them are using the Garmin with the wrist and we know those aren't particularly accurate, but you know, it's a baseline and then you just compare. Um, you know, I've re read several training books. Um, I just reread the 80-20 principle and, you know, you use Jack Daniels and the VO2 max um, information, but it, it's more, it's that tipping point. You want to push them right up to the edge and before they step over, you've got to stop. And I have always coached either one-on-one -on -one or super small groups. So if I'm not running the workout with them, I'm standing on the infield running back and forth. And you just, you watch and you learn and you find out what each kid can withstand. And the most important thing I think is stopping one with them, knowing that they could do one more repeat if they had to, because dedicated runners always want to do more because if this is good, more is always better. Mm -hmm. How many of us get overuse injuries? Um, but you just have to have that confidence to, to look at them and say, I want to push you hard to get better, but I don't want to push you so hard that I break you. That's intuitive, right? Like you have to have a good understanding of people and body language and response, right? To be able to do something like that. That's one of the, the talents that like, even as a personal trainer, it's like, are you a great trainer? I don't know, but I think I at least understand where you're at. And if I understand where you're at, I can best help you. It sounds like one of those things. Mm -hmm. And there, there just needs to be a purpose. Like I shouldn't just go into practice and say on my way over, like, oh, you know, we haven't done hills for a while. Let's do those today. <clears throat> so it's, it's, I honestly don't know how I do it, except that I would say it's more instinctual. And I will say that I probably shouldn't ever coach higher than high school because I always tell my kids, if they set lifetime best with me, I've done them a disservice. I need to set them up with the lowest mileage possible to reach success so that when they go to college, they have this strong base, no lingering injuries, and the fire to be better. So I can be a little more flexible with doing less because I'm not trying to get them to be the absolute best they can be in their lives. I'm just trying to get them to be the best where they are right now. Does that make sense? And that's where it ends for most of them. Yeah. As far as performance goes. What do you think a high what do you think a high schooler should like what do you think is you said the, the lowest mileage possible which I actually agree with uh, very heavily. What is that what what is that in your mind like get them as fit as possible with the the least lo, uh, prolonged ramifications. Yes. Um the my girls I like to try to be around 30 and the guys 40 to 50 depending you know, you get an out, I get an outlier every once in a while that will handle more. So, you know, they'll do more. And at that point, I also kind of look at minutes and how much time they are spending on the roads. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I was running less than that. When you 
have your either very driven or very talented individuals that move to the next level of training then. What does that transition look like? It's having a low volume approach to unearth the talent is fantastic. But then there's that bridge to most colleges don't continue that. They throw them at volume. So what have you found to be the best process for bridging the gap from high school to college? Do you just ramp up that summer or do you send them in and say, hey, stand your ground and tell your coach you are a low volume athlete and you need to be careful with me? I go right in the back door and contact the coach they'll be running for and say, here's what they're doing right now. What do you want me to have them work towards that will still fit in with my philosophy, but will help them find the greatest success with you? And I, I have found coaches are really good. You know, they're not necessarily sharing specific workouts, but they might say, I'd like them to slowly increase their miles, another threshold workout. Um, but by the time they're seniors, they're almost done with me. And, you know, like a parent, I need to get them ready to survive on their own. So I want to find out what their coach is going to have them do and get them ready for that. And you start as a senior? Yes. Once they've made a, a commitment to a school and you know, sometimes the they've just been like, well, they've been successful. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, but I usually try to contact that college coach first and find out and just be very clear where they are. They're coming in with low mileage. We're a, a small class A program and I don't have athletes that I can afford to lose. So I've got to send them to the line, maybe a little less prepared, but 100% healthy. And, and we just go with whatever the college coach believes that that's what they need. Oftentimes, Kirk and I look at each other and say, are you satisfied with that? And we say, nah, I want more. I am as happy with that answer as I could possibly be. That is, that is what the manual should be for how to approach a transitioning to post-secondary education running. It's not my job to get them to their lifetime success. I would much rather them run 10 seconds slower in a 5K and want to run for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And those kids that are good, I often have to put a bit in their mouth because they all, there's more, more, more. And, you know, they've seen a workout someone else has done. And um, because of the respect I have, they generally talk to me about this crazy workout that they'll want to do. And at that point, I try to find something in the middle, which what I know is safe and, oh my gosh, that's crazy. So we try to find a middle ground so that they feel like they have some ownership in in their lives and their training, but that I'm still the adult and I'm trying to keep them safe. When I was in high school, I wanted to do the old uh, Dathan Ritzenhine workout, which was 32 by 400 meters with 400 meter jog recovery. And everybody was trying to do that. Yes, coach, if you should be doing... 32 by 400 meters. I got a hard, uh, <laughs> I got a hard no on that one. <laughs> um, Carol, how many uh, approximately athletes have you, let's say, groomed uh, to run post high school? Probably only only 15. Um, most of them that they're running in high school, it's something to do. They're reasonably good at, but um, most of them really aren't interested in running in college and. It, it was hard for me to accept because, oh, probably a hundred of them could have been successful at a smaller program. But if they don't want it, I can make them hate it or I can work towards the goal they want. And hopefully they'll continue uh, at least being somewhat athletic and fit for the rest of their lives. 
Isn't that what really determines success? I think Bracken, you've mentioned that, right? Like if, if, if this kid, you call them up when they're 30 and they're still out going for jogs or runs three times a week, like you have succeeded beyond measure, right? Yeah. And you guys are exceptions. You're a professional athlete, so you're getting paid for what you do. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Semi-pro at best. Well, and, and most of us are just fitness people who enjoy what we're doing and want to share the love. But, you know, realistically, if, if they want to stay fit for the rest of their lives, running is the easiest way to do it. And spending a little time in the weight room or hauling around rocks or going over monkey bars. That's all good stuff too. That's true. (laughs) We are running up against our ceiling here, but I want to kind of bring this full circle back to how you started, which was running against the glass ceiling and then constantly pushing against that. I'm curious again, because I can't force myself to have a perspective that I haven't lived in your experience. And in your opinion, what are our biggest obstacles still sitting in front of us that are that, that the current generation of female athletes are facing? That's a really good question. Kirk wrote it. <laughs> Ask her this. Yeah, totally not. So much of it, I feel, is the public's perspective. If you go to a, a boys basketball game, a high school boys basketball game on a Friday night, the place is packed. Obviously not this year, but um, and you go to a girls game and it's like crickets. Um, So somehow we need to start. And I I don't honestly know where, because if I knew I'd be working on it. Um, But just to, to teach that level of respect and that girls are going to look different, whether it's on the track, on the volleyball court or the basketball court. But we still have to admire physical excellence. Um, And I'm not sure how we do that, because. We've been working on that for quite a while and it doesn't seem to change, Um, but it would make the girls feel more successful, obviously, if people show up in the stands. But Mm. let's be honest, how many people go to track meets or cross country meets? So I'll tell you what, my entire high school career, not a single friend of mine that wasn't on the team came to a meet until the sectional meet my senior year. I had four friends come that we're not track athletes. And that meant more to me than you could ever, ever imagine. And that has got to be the single sport running where like, you just don't dies. It's a, it's an inner thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's one of those things. It's tough to bring up that way, isn't it? Yeah. Bracken, did you have friends come to your meets? No. That weren't on the team? Yeah. No, no. Occasionally you'd have a few girls show up. They had a crush on a guy or mm-hmm. vice versa. A guy show up that was dating a girl or wanted to date a girl, but that was about it. I'm not counting all my girlfriends back. Carol, my follow-up to that is we are both men who coach women. We obviously have to improve. We have to be better. And especially the younger the woman is, the Mm -hmm. more we have the opportunity of screwing things up. And so what is your advice to male coaches for dealing with female athletes? This can be low-hanging fruit. This can be blanket statements. This can be like hard and fast rules. We need to hear it. And the rest of the listeners who work with females needs to hear it. I, I think the most important thing that a woman athlete wants is to be treated as an athlete. And that would mean asking those hard questions. You know, what do you, what is your goal? What are you thinking? And then laying yourself open and saying, I've worked with you. What are things that you would like for me to improve on? And tell me how I can go about achieving that. 
And I think that would go a long way. And I'm sure you guys do a great job because you're compassionate, knowledgeable people. Um, but just ask them, what, what can you do to improve? How can you help them be the best that they can be? At the high school level, you witness scores of male coaches working with, with women. What's the most common mistakes you're seeing out there? Not recognizing that women's bodies are different. Um, you can treat them similar but you need to make allowances. And there are things going on in women's bodies that they can't help. And it does affect emotions. And we're gonna have those off days. And um, I know sometimes early on, the girls would share things with me. And I'm like, did I really need to know that? And uh, now they're going to be sharing them with you um, because we, we have gotten a lot more open about that. Um, but you just need to treat everyone as a person and go from there. And I know that sounds simplistic, but that doesn't always happen. I think if you're coaching right, you don't treat women any or women or girls any different than men or boys. Because if you're if you're a true compassionate coach, then you should be listening, asking questions, and responding and caring, no matter who the athlete is. And I think if you start with that, with no assumptions of who the person is, right, whether they're a boy or a girl, then I think you're going to be okay. But it go you can't go in with any sort of assumptions. What is the what is it? Women are not just tiny men. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, yeah, that is correct. <laughs> that, is, that is true. But if you just listen yeah, and respond, that's all it's about. Yeah. You know that, obviously. You've been doing this longer than I have. <laughs> I've been doing it longer than a lot of people. <laughs> my, uh, the, the time constraint we have is on my end because I got to get back to my, my job. Um, and we had, what, about a half an hour snafu trying to get this. Yeah, sorry about started. that. No, that's okay. We, we need to work on our system, Bracken, because this happens about every three episodes. Yep. That's our. That's on us, not you. Um, what are your? What is your advice? And maybe you've already given it, honestly. But my last question was just: I, I've had an influx of people reaching out, considering getting into coaching. I don't know if you have Bracken. Like I'm considering it, and maybe we pique their interest. Or I don't know, or maybe the availability of the online world right now. Oh. Do you have any advices? Advice for new coaches out there? Any recommendations? Anything? that you haven't already said? My concern with someone wanting to go into coaching is why do you want to do this? If it's because you want to make an easy buck, well, if you're coaching in the school system, that ain't happening. Um, but if you're doing it because you truly want people to enjoy the level of success that they can with, coaching is very fulfilling for me. You know, I've been running for 42 years. That's a long time. And I will never again be what I used to be. So I can either live in the past or I can help someone else achieve their successes and enjoy that, that love all over again. Um, so I guess that would be my statement that if you're going into coaching because you want to help people find the love that you have in the sport, read books, ask questions and go for it. That's good advice. And I will follow that up with saying that like, there are very few coaches in the sports of endurance athlete athletics that are making money, like making money, right? If it, if that is your, if that is your objective, um, I would say, don't start. I would say if you give a shit, then you can start. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my big, you didn't ask me, you asked her, but I'm going to stand up on the soapbox and say, if you're starting to make money quick, stop, you might earn money five years from now. 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you might become a respected mind and get a book deal and become a speaker. But but if you're looking to do it quick, you're going to coach crappy. If you coach great, you'll make money eventually. But it, this is not a 
this is not a quick startup where you get into it and just rake it in because you're going to lose it all really quickly. I'd much rather have people grind away in obscurity for half a decade or a decade and then unveil it to the country after you've established your protocol. Because like any other business, you get out of school or you start it and you're excited and you make a ton of mistakes. So maybe don't <laughs> advertise about it and screw up a lot of people until you've got it out of the way with yourself. Yeah, I started the cross country program. They were very hesitant to do that. And so I made them an offer they couldn't refuse. I did it for free. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, and like all of us, we just we see a, a need for it. So we just want to help people. And and it was a great deal. And, you know, after three years, they're like, well, you've done a pretty good job. So, yeah, we probably should start paying you. <laughs> three years of coaching for free. If there's not a testament to caring. I don't know what it would be. Well, you know, you just, and I was coaching, I was the junior varsity volleyball coach at the time. So the kids would show up after I got done with volleyball practice and we'd just go for a run together, just like they were kind of my buddies. And we went to some meets and, and we made it work. But, you know, it's not something any good coach wouldn't be willing to do. My husband thinks I'm crazy, but oh well. <laughs> That's a good thing. I, I, have one, I have one maybe obscure last question to ask you. And that is if people want to follow along on your journey, Carol, is there any way for them to do so? <laughs> yeah, I, I do Facebook and I do a little bit of Instagram, but I'm, I'm really not that interesting. So I don't do much with that. So do you not want people to look you up and support you? No. Oh, would, would you not mind? I, I would not mind, but I was actually looking through your Instagram post this morning when I was uh, kind of trying to figure things out and I, I'll have to actually look to see what mine is. <laughs> you guys can't see, but uh, Carol's pulled out her phone because she doesn't remember her Instagram handle. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, isn't that sad? It's no. oddly endearing. That's the way I'd love to live my life. <laughs> <laughs> I have a client right now. Okay. I, I, I had to cancel some sessions due to a little COVID situation at the gym. I have one client still doesn't have a cell phone and I couldn't get in touch with her to let her know she shouldn't come in. No cell phone oh. in 2021. That woman deserves like a medal of honor. I don't know. Bless her heart. At this point, it's harder not to have one. There was a time where it was a hassle to have one. Now it's a hassle not to. No cell phone. 2021. Kirk, we can cut this next bit out if you want. But it was just something I was talking about with Lisa last night. So I'm just going to intro it here. We have people oftentimes ask us if we have a Patreon account where they can just donate to us for putting on a podcast. And we don't because it feels self-serving. But is there anything you're passionate about, Carol, that you'd like people to donate to? Uh, obviously, I wasn't expecting that kind of question. Um, was that. <laughs> it's okay. Um, high school athletics would be great. Um, you know, even if it's something as simple as, you know, buy a bunch of Gatorades after after a meet and give it to the coach to give to the kids. But mine love popsicles. <laughs> hey, all I knew is our funding. Like I ran in basketball shorts and a jersey that was two times too big for me because we didn't have funding to buy proper clothes. Mm -hmm. I looked back at my high school videos and my shorts are just above my knee and they're, and they're heavy as shit and the strings didn't stay tied. And there I am a state qualifying athlete running in basketball shorts. So apparel I knew at least in my day was like, if anybody wanted to help out a program, nothing makes a kid feel fast, like running in basketball shorts. So maybe help them out. Well, thank you, Carol. We appreciate the time. We appreciate you solving these technological oh, issues. So sorry that it took forever and wasted your time. Oh, this was, this was worth waiting for. 
Well, thank you much. I hope we can work out and it doesn't take too long to edit all the crazy sounds out of it. Not my problem. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> thanks for your time, Carol. It's been great. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you.